Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Big day in the Wagner household. It's the little things in life. See, Gru, you will appreciate this once you like own a house and stuff like that. It, it's I, I never thought that at an early day in my life that I'd be excited about, hey, we're, we're having a new furnace and air conditioner put in. And what's wrong with the old ones? Well, no, they were still working, but they had reached kind of the end of their useful life. We'll actually talk about that a little bit later on. And then the big thing, the big thing, my, my coffee maker died couple days ago it just it just it's one of those keurig k-cup things and it just it just flat out died so okay i've got an anniversary coming up and I, I said to my wife i know what i want for my anniversary and she said what's that for our anniversary and i said what's that and she said well i said here's what i i want i want one of those those, those i need the k-cup thing but i i want it i want one of these fancy ones that like half of it you can make a pot of coffee with like round coffee, like a Mr. Coffee thing, and then the other half is the K cup, you know. So, so she said, "You really want that for our anniversary?" I said, "Yeah." She said, Cause "Isn't that kind of like a vacuum? Getting someone a vacuum cleaner?" I said, "No, that, that's what I really want." So I, I was going to get that anyways, and then over the weekend, it just so happens I did not, I did not destroy the coffee maker, but the coffee maker died. So. Ordered it. It came today. She sent me a picture of it out on the counter. So I've now got, I can't wait to get home. I only drink coffee typically in the morning. But tonight I think I'm going to turn on my new furnace. You know, I don't, I don't know how warm it's going to be or cold. It's going to turn on the new furnace. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to make myself a pot of coffee on the thing. It's the little things in life that just kind of make life worth living. All the, those types of things. Um, kind of exciting about that. All right. Where do we start today? So many different things, so much ground to cover. I promise we're going to get to a number of things. People are already texting me. You're going to talk about the governor's mask mandate being extended. Yes, I am. You're going to talk about Tom Barrett cutting 120 police officers. Yes, we will. What about the Kenosha schools updates from yesterday? Yes, we will. Are we going to talk about what's going on with the Supreme Court? Trust me, we will do that. But we start with a decision that came out yesterday out of the People's Republic of Madison. From a federal judge who has quite candidly, in my opinion, been a huge disappointment since she took the, since he took the bench. Now, I, federal judges are the closest things that we have in this country to kings or queens. They are essentially they are there for life once they are confirmed. Doesn't matter how good a job they do. Doesn't matter how bad a job they do. They continue to get paid. They stay as long as they want to stay. And there, there's really very little accountability other than you have higher courts that can overturn them. One of the reasons it is so important to get it right when you appoint federal judges is because they are there forever and because judges bring their own sort of philosophies to the bench. I believe in a philosophy of what would be called, you know, judicial restraint. It's it's not a question of political conservatism or being a liberal politically. It's a question of do you believe in essentially the system that the founding fathers set up? That is a legislative branch that passes the laws. An executive branch 
that then administers the laws or, or signs off on them, and then a, a court system which determines, you know, how the laws should be applied. What does the law mean? That's the way the system works. Unfortunately, you have a number of federal judges who, I think, forget the fact that they're they're judges and say, you know, I really, I, I wish I was a governor or I, I wish I was in the state legislature because what I want to do is, is I want to craft the laws because I, I, I don't want to just interpret the laws. I want to say what I think the law should be. And that's precisely what happened yesterday. And I think it has opened the door to make the Wisconsin election in November, if it is not reversed, an even bigger mess than it is already going to be. In Wisconsin, the law is crystal clear. It is expressed in the language of the law that when it comes to voting, all absentee ballots must be received in the clerk's office by 8 p.m. on election day. The, there, there, the law is black and white. So if you decide that you are going to vote absentee and you want to send in your ballot, you have to send it in in sufficient time to make sure it is received by 8 o'clock on election day. That, that's the law. It is crystal clear. That's why some people get an absentee ballot and decide, okay, I, I, I don't want to trust the mail, so I'm going to drop it off. But the rule is, the law is clear. It has to be received by 8 o'clock on Election Day. Why is this? Well, it's because, first of all, there needs to be some degree of certainty. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to have a cutoff at some point in time. The flight is leaving at 2 o'clock. The doors to the uh, runway shut at 145. If you're not on the plane at 145, you're not getting on the plane. Doesn't matter if you're in the, doesn't matter if you're in the holding area, doesn't matter if you're running down the hallways, if you're not there by 145, the door shut, the plane leaves without you. Oh gee, I wish they would have held the plane for another hour, I would have been there in a half hour. That's, that's fine, but that's not how, that's not how it works. The law in Wisconsin is clear. Eight o'clock, election day, the ballots have to be received. And it is your responsibility as a voter to make sure that your ballot is in the clerk's office by that time. All right? And so maybe that means you should send it in two weeks early. Maybe it means you should drop it off. Maybe it means you should, if you're worried about that, you should show up in person on Election Day and vote. doesn't matter. The law says 8 o'clock on Election Day. Well, regardless of what the law says, Federal Judge William, let's count him until your guy wins Conley, issued a ruling yesterday saying, regardless of what the state law in Wisconsin says, I am going to order that ballots continue to be counted as long as they are postmarked by November 3rd, which is Election Day. So ballots will be, if as long as ballots, and get this, Ballots can be received by November 9th. Now, the election is November 3rd. Conley says we will continue to accept ballots under that, that are received up until that following Monday, as long as they have a postmark 
on them that says November 3rd. So you are going to, if this ruling is not reversed, you are going to have continually adjusted ballot counts. All right, the polls close, boom. Well, okay, the next day we get another 1,000 ballots. Then we get 5,000. Then we get 10,000. Then we get 15,000. And the judge is ordering all those votes will be counted essentially for another week as long as there is a postmark that says November 3rd. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, in my opinion, such a horrible decision for several reasons. First of all, the law is very clear. And and if a federal judge wants to change the law, run for governor, okay? But the law is very clear. Number two, the law in this case makes sense. There needs to be some degree of certainty. Number three, in my opinion, in my opinion, this opens the door for massive, massive fraud, by all you need to do is figure out somebody somebody that's got a way of getting these things postmarked, and you can continue to file ballots. You can continue to return ballots for days and days and days. And my question would be, what, what's the magic thing about a week? If, if we're going to allow ballots to be counted up to a week after the election, that are received up to a week after the election, why not two weeks? Why not three weeks? Why not a month? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is on so many levels a devastatingly bad decision, starting with the fact that it's just plain contrary to the clear language of the law. Don't laws mean anything anymore? We discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Imagine the mess that this federal judge has created. Let me give you this scenario. Let's talk Wisconsin. All right. The clerk's offices start counting the votes after the polls close. Let's say Tuesday night, November 3rd, people go to sleep and Donald Trump is ahead in Wisconsin by 100,000 votes, just for the sake of argument. All right, 100,000 votes. All right, but then we, we know that there's absentee ballots that have been received by the clerk's offices. Let's count those. All right, so it takes about a day to count all those. At the end of that process, Donald Trump is ahead by 50,000. Hey, Trump has won. Okay, then all of a sudden, mysteriously, on Thursday, 50,000 ballots appear in the clerk's office in Madison, and they've got a postmark on them from two days earlier. Well, now we have to count those. All right, and then, then Friday, more ballots appear. Then Saturday, more ballots appear. Then Monday, more ballots appear, and the numbers start changing. I mean, you want to talk about somebody drawing huge questions about the integrity of the system. That, that's it, not to mention what the law says. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. This is one of those rare occasions where I agree with you, although probably for different reasons. Um, I believe the law is set by the legislature, right? It is, yes. And the law is clear, right? It is, yes. And this is and this is the day of our Lord, September the 22nd, and the election is November 3rd, right? Yes, ma'am. You're right on all counts so far. Okay. <laughs> all right. There, there is time. I'm a person that's working our neighborhood to get people to turn out to vote. And the neighborhood I'm working, if I'm successful, it will probably be for a candidate you don't like. But that's not here or there. The most important thing is to tell people clearly what they have to do, and when they have to do it. Procrastination is the enemy of my side turning out. 
procrastination and making mistakes on these mail-in ballots is huge. And having any change in the rule, I've been telling everybody it has to be at the Election Commission by November 3rd. You can't futz around with it. It has to be there. Take it to the drop box if you don't trust the mail. Right. Go do early voting, which is a form of the absentee voting, if you don't trust the mail. But November 3rd is your deadline. And really, if you want to go to your polling place, it's probably going to be very safe and not so crowded. And there's plenty of polling places. And ours is the Humane Society. Um, To confuse this more, when there's not an emergency, Judge Connolly means well. And in April, when the one part of the order that was sustained, I don't know whether it was Connolly or Peterson, was the postmark rule that they did let for that for the April 7 election. it was changed, but there was an emergency. Right, and it was it really also, was. and it also and that that got reviewed with just in a couple days before the election. So I think the court said, "Look, this ruling has been in effect. We can't with just three days or four days or a week out. We right. we can't overturn it." But you're right. Now there's we're a couple months away, and and you're right. It's created this degree of uncertainty for for what reason? Just tell everybody you got to have the ballot back by Tuesday the third. However you vote. So I would say to anybody who is listening, um, don't trust that this ruling about the postmark is going to stand. Follow the old rules, because the last thing you want to do is to be caught up short thinking that, oh, they changed the rule. Yeah, Lucy, thanks for calling. See, I I agree. And again, you you can go broke trying to guess what appeal courts are going to do. I think this decision is really, really wrong. I mean, I think the law is really clear, and I understand she's right. They upheld the postmark rules in April, but that was just because we were right up against an election, and they didn't want to create more uncertainty. In this case, there's enough time. My guess is the Seventh Circuit overturns that. That's just my guess. But the, the bigger point of the matter is you need a degree of certainty. Look, I'm not one of these people who's on the radio predicting, pre- preaching, oh, we, we can't have confidence or faith in the results of a, of a decision or not. But at the same time, if there's not this degree of certainty, it, the scenario I have laid out is extremely possible where all of a sudden, mysteriously, thousands of ballots start to appear on the day after the election or two days after the election or three days or four days after the election. That's the kind of stuff you have going on in banana republics, not in the United States of America. And it's this unnecessary list, uh, area of confusion that's been created by, at least in my opinion, a federal judge who's decided, I, I just, I don't like this law. I think it would make more sense if we counted the ballots for an extra week. And I don't want to debate the merits of that. Maybe it does. I don't know. But that's not what the law says. Let's talk to Chris in Waukesha. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, was, I agree with you 100% that this is probably going to be overturned, but I'm wondering if he was willing to go out and try to change the laws, why didn't he do it in a way that at least to me would have made some sense and say, you know what, instead of waiting because they're going to be so backlogged with a lot of absentee ballots this year. Mm-hmm. Why not say, you know what, we can start counting them a week 
early. He might have gotten a little more support for that. Well, yeah, because I mean, I'll tell you, Chris, I, I know the clerk of court, the clerk's offices want that. I, to me, that makes eminent sense. I've been saying it on the radio for the last few weeks. The state law, to your point, state law says you can't start counting absentee ballots until the polls open on Election Day, which means if we're going to have a million absentee ballots, these clerk's offices are going to be overwhelmed. So the, the results, just physically, they're not going to be able to get them counted on election night. So that's going to be going on. You're, you're exactly right. If, if you wanted to do something, okay, let, let's let's say you can start counting earlier. I'm with, no, thanks. There, there's all sorts of things you could do. And, and again, maybe if you're listening to this, you say, well, no, Jeff, I understand. You know, maybe people shouldn't have to be responsible and worry about getting their ballot in by election day. And as long as it's postmarked, what difference does it make? All right. You, you can have an argument about that based on, on the, the merits. I think it is important to have deadlines. I think, you know, once the polls close, that's where you have that certainty. That's where you have that security, as opposed to, oh, mysteriously, we've just gotten 5,000 more ballots that have kind of come in three days after the election, after we've started releasing results, and it turns out that Donald Trump is ahead by 40,000 votes. And now, mysteriously, there's 42,000 votes out of Dane County that have just appeared on Thursday. Can you imagine what that's going to do to public confidence in elections? I mean, that's that to me is the, the biggest argument against it. Plus, I don't think it's unreasonable to say to people, you know what? You know, the, the election day is November 2nd. You can vote earlier, but you can't vote after that. And I think when you allow this postmark stuff, that's a way of allowing it to come in afterwards. But again, the law is clear. Why can't we get judges who will apply the law? Is that too much to ask for? And apparently in Wisconsin, the answer is yes. Um, but to Lucy's point, I think for everybody out there, whether you're planning on voting for Biden or Trump or whoever, um, I, I think I would plan on, at least at this moment, make sure that your ballot is in by election day. Because my guess is that's ultimately what the rule is going to be when all is said and done. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters underlines, if, if you want to talk about what a mess this is as a result of this extra legal decision, in my opinion, by this federal judge in Madison, it points point, Jeff, remember in the spring, the Postal Service acknowledged that not all mail gets postmarked. So imagine the challenge if all of a sudden you get a bag of ballots that arrive without postmarks, you know, mixed in perhaps with a number of ballots that have postmarks. Um, it's going to be the new hanging chads out of Florida. Yes, yeah, something like that. I mean, that's that's why the rule of law makes sense. If you're going to vote, ballots have to be received by the close of the polls, 8 o'clock on Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day. So that means if you've got your absentee ballot well, you want to send it in and make sure it gets received, or you want to drop it off, and you want to make sure you order your ballot in enough time, if you're going to send it back, for it to be received. Or, if you don't, then you're going to have to show up and vote in person instead of extending the election deadline for a week. It's going to be chaos if the election is close. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have always believed that you should neither you should not love or hate something that can't love or hate you back. That, that's just been it's like people like, gee, I I love this coffee maker. Well, you shouldn't. The coffee maker can't love you back. They don't know that. 
having said that, I've always violated my rule with one thing. When we for, when we bought our first house in Whitefish Bay years and years ago, it had a furnace in it, and I hated that furnace. Um, what happened is the people we bought it from, and it's sort of my first house, so I, I don't know furnaces from Adam. And I remember at the closing, the guy said, well, well here, you might want to continue paying for this extended warranty because, you know, furnaces go out. And I remember thinking... Huh, I don't remember the furnace at my parents' house going out, but okay, fine. Well, I understand why he was telling me that, because a couple years ago, they before we had bought the house, they had put in this kind of new space-age furnace that was made by company Amana. They, they made the furnace, and they, you know, they make refrigerators and stuff. They don't make furnaces anymore, and there's a reason why. That This furnace was a piece of crap, and there's just no other way to discuss it. It was, it was some sort of like new-age sort of thing that, you know, it also ran the hot water heater. It was this weird, and they, they had before they did a national rollout of it, they had tested it in Dallas, Texas, and it worked out okay. Well, all right, just because something works in Dallas, Texas, doesn't mean it's going to work in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, where it's a lot colder. And this furnace, I swear, I think this furnace knew when it was Christmas Eve. I think it knew when it was New Year's Eve. It'd be like New Year's Eve, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, it's really cold in the house because the furnace has died. It just, it it would never die at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning when you could get somebody there without a hassle. So after a couple years of trying to, to deal with this, and at one point in time, I think the furnace company said, well, we'll give you a new furnace because this has had so many problems. Well, all it was was a newer edition of the same piece of crap furnace. No, <laughs> So I like, I, I just... And I, I hate these sort of problems. So it's like, no, I want to put in like a, a real, you know, non-space age. Just give me a traditional furnace and let's make this work. But that's it, – it's it's one of the things. I'm kind of funny like that when it comes to like the mechanicals in the house because things always know, I, I think, you know, when the worst time is to go out. I've told this story before. New Year's Eve, we're having a, a party. We got about 60 people coming over at 6 o'clock. My wife sends me down into the basement at 5 o'clock to bring up chairs. I get down in the basement, 5 o'clock on New Year's Eve, there's water all over the floor because the hot water heater decided it was going to spring a big leak on New Year's Eve, you know, when I've got 60 people coming over. So I'm calling the plumber, and they're saying, well, you know, it's it's New Year's Eve. I said, yes, I know. You know, it's time and a half. I said, yeah, I know all that sort of stuff, but I got 60 people, and I, I can't go for a couple days without hot water, so come on over, and I'll pay the money. So I, I know these appliances, they just, the mechanicals, they just know when when it's the worst possible time to go out. So I always believe in a little bit of prevention, which brings me to my my story today. Um, my, okay, we're we're like the second owners of the house, of the place that I'm in now, and it's, it's, the, it's, it's about 15 or 16 years old. It's got original equipment mechanical. So it had the original hot water heater till it sprung a leak in, in on New Year's Eve. And it's got the original furnace and air conditioner. I have it serviced, and you know, like the guy came out to this year and he said, "Okay, well, the air conditioner it's not operating at complete capacity. And by the way, they've got these rules on Freon and stuff. Um, so you you really were limited as what we could put in it. it. It it's working fine, but you're kind of at the end of your useful life." And we look at the furnace, and it's the same sort of thing. The furnace is operating fine, but you know it, it's probably. You know, 15 to 20 years, and your furnace is probably like 16 years. So it's it's reaching the end of its useful life. And so my wife says, okay, well, we'll just, why don't we just like kind of ride this out, and we'll wait till it breaks, and then we'll replace it. And I said, well, honey, the problem with that is it's, 
if at least the, my, the way my luck has been, it's, it's going to break on January 4th at 1 o'clock in the morning when it's you know, 10 degrees below zero, and then we're going to be scrambling for all this, and I, I don't want to do it. Why? We know we're going to be in the house for a while. We know we're going to have to replace this at, at some point in time in the next couple of years. Why don't we just do it now? Um, before it's an emergency situation. And, and yeah, could we, could we squeeze another year or two out of, of life out of what we have? Yeah, we, we probably could. But why don't we just do it now? We can do it at our convenience. You know, we can do it at the convenience of the, the people that are doing the replacement. Let's do it. And so for the last, so I, I, I won this particular battle. So they're replacing our furnace and air conditioner today. The guys are there working on it. But I've been having this discussion with, with friends over the course of, I don't know, the last couple of weeks. And I will say this. I would say 80% of, of my friends, associates, and people I discuss this with think I'm, well, they might think I'm nuts for a lot of reasons. But they, they say, you're, you're replacing it before it's broken. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm replacing it before it's broken because I, I know I'm going to have to replace it. I would like that, that peace of mind. And I guess I just as soon have the new thing. It's more efficient. I'd have it there. And, and now I, I don't have to worry about it for the foreseeable future as opposed to, you know, just dealing with something that it's at the end of its useful life. And I would say about 80 percent of the people I talk to, including some people who surprised me about this, who I thought would be on my side. They're, they're not. They say, no, 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 we'd, we'd, we'd ride it out. We'd get every day we could out of it, and then, you know, we wouldn't replace it till we absolutely had to. All right, one segment, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is many of you have faced that particular situation. Do you... Do you do, do you be proactive? Do you do some stuff preventive saying, look, I know this is at the end of its life. I, I, can I get another year out of it? Maybe, but I know, can I get two years out of it? Maybe, but I know I'm going to be here for a while. I know I'm going to have to make this expense. Do you do it now to give yourself peace of mind or do you ride it out and just hope that when the furnace dies, it's not when it's 20 degrees below on January 18th? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I made the decision to just try to take care of it early so I had the peace of mind. It was worth it to me. What would you have done? We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, a couple of people are texting and saying, well, I understand what you're saying, but if you can't afford it, you, you've got to wait. Well, you're right. I, I understand that. But, I mean, you know, my, my scenario is that you're going to have to do it at some point in time. And, look, nobody likes to pay the money for that. But for me, it's, it's worth buying the peace of mind. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Phil in Waukesha. Phil, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I'm an ex-HVAC guy, so I, ho- I think I got some valuable input for you. First of all, you're right. The um, um, energy command by Amana was terrible furnace. Um, it was uh, listed with the Lenox Pulse as being the top two furnaces on uh, c- Consumer Reports, and they were both junk. They were yeah. both recalled. Yeah, this is um, awful. So that's, that's my gripe about Consumer Reports. But let's get back to... Um, your comment about getting it done. Right now, you can get competitive bids. You can get your best price. It goes out. You have to have it done right away, and you got to pay what anybody wants to charge you at that time. By all means, do it now. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Th- exactly. Thanks for calling. Right. You're you're exactly right. I was 
I, I mean, I had the guy over um, a month and a half ago or something. They took a look at it. They gave me a price that I thought was competitive. Actually, I thought it was, you know, because this is sort of like their slow season in a way because it's, you know, winter's not here and the air conditioning season's kind of winding down. So, I mean, I thought it was a very, very fair price. I, I had my choice of dates that I wanted this installed. So we picked today because my, my wife could be home to deal with it. So yeah, my wife could be home to deal with it. Love you, honey. So, but that's, you know, that. That's the the thing, and I'm thinking, okay, if if I don't wait and I'm scrambling around and it dies some night in January when it's 15 below, I, I'm not going to have those, those options. I'm not going to have the time to competitively price it. I, I'm going to be in a rush to try to get this installed, and they're going to be installing it in the dead of winter, and it's just going to be just a, a royal pain in general, and I'm going to be worried about frozen pipes and all those stuff. It's just, I guess it's it's the proactive element in me. Let's talk to uh, Jane in West Dallas. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, I just told your your whatever. Um, we are actually having that done today. Okay. Uh, he's at our house right now, and we thought the same thing. Been in our house 18 years, and the furnace was probably had to be five years old by then. And we haven't had any problems, but we thought the same thing. Um, I'm a hot flash woman, so if we need air conditioning, we gotta have air conditioning. Right, so. and, and you don't, and you don't want it right, and, and you don't want to be waiting for you know a week in the middle of July when everybody else is making service call, you know, service calls. You you just want it exactly. done, so now you don't have to worry about. It. No, thanks. I guess see see that that's kind of the the thinking, and like I say a lot of my friends, I would say eight out of ten people were saying, well, no, we'll we'll just you know we'll we'll take the chance and we'll we'll run it till it dies, and and I understand and. You know, maybe maybe if we were going to be selling our, our house in the next year or two, maybe I would have thought something different. But we, we have no plans to do that. Good Lord willing, we're going to be in that place for a long time. So I, I figure I, I know I'm going to have to do that replacement. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, I hope I've got another 15 or 20 good years, you know, that I'm going to be there. So since you know you're going to have to make the investment, to me, it's like, let's just do this now. David in Oconomowoc. David, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah, Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Um, I agree 100% with you as well. Um, I'm a pretty frugal person. Uh, myself, I have three pairs of tennis shoes that I wear all the time. They're 15 years old. Right. Um, but the issue comes down is I replaced mine last year. and We probably had, it was about 16 years that we had both units. Um, and we replaced both of them last year because we started to get minor issues, mm-hmm. you know, a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there. And now... You know, it's been saving us about 150 to 175 dollars per month on average for both yeah. the HVAC and uh, for heating and for air conditioning. And more importantly, I mean, I have always had zoning in my place, um, but the new zoning and the thermostats and how they talk to each other so much yeah. that it, it works out so well. So I mean, the savings and like you said, you know, we just didn't want some in the middle of the winter because we did right. have one that happened when it was 30 degrees. But, um, right. you know, that was fine. But we just didn't want to have the minus 20 and then something go wrong and have to worry about it. So I'm a 100% in agreement. If you can get it done now, it will save you over the next 10 years. You'll recoup it all. Good. Well, that, that's nice to know, too. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Matter of fact, we have a, a couple other friends who have you know, a similar system to what we put in. And they said they just absolutely love it because it's more efficient, you know. And I, I, I won't say that it was necessarily the efficiency and the energy savings, but 
He said, it just, it runs more efficiently. You'll be able to cool the house quicker. You'll be able to heat the house more quickly. You'll you'll love it. Well, I I hope that's the case. I was just doing it to be proactive. Jeff, replace it now. I think you're in the right. If your dentist tells you that you have a cavity and it doesn't hurt, do you fix the cavity? Of course you do. You don't wait until you are in pain. Uh, Jeff, mine acted up in January, cracked heat exchanger. They made it work, but I didn't trust it, so I stayed at a friend's. By the time they were able to replace the heat exchanger had a hole in it and was leaking carbon monoxide. Yeah, I, again, I, I, there was nothing wrong with this. Jeff, um, our refrigerator is starting to show signs of wear and, and tear, and you know we're beginning to adopt the attitude that proactive measures are the best plan. Time for a new refrigerator. Yeah, that's the um, yeah that's the that's the thing. I actually. My wife doesn't get that either. We're, we've been slowly, we've been in our house for a couple of years. We've been slowly starting to replace the mechanical stuff. And, you know, the refrigerator and the dishwasher, they'll kind of be up there as well, just because you got to do this. Jeff, I agree with you. My furnace went out in January, and I decided to replace it versus putting a bandage on it to give me maybe another year or two. When they came in to do my air conditioner tune-up in spring, the repairman told me he could tune it up, but he said it was as old as my previous furnace. I might get another year or two. I told him just replace it. Now I am good for years to come yeah that's the that's just that's the deal and again i understand there's some people that if you don't have the wherewithal that that's not necessarily an option but if you do kind of makes sense i learned something else about home stuff all right so a couple you know a couple months ago i get this notice from we energies and they say they got to replace the gas meter all right, I'm going, well, replace the gas meter. And so I, I kind of ignored it. Then I got a nastier letter saying, okay, you're, you, you've got to replace the gas meter at your place. Set up an appointment. So I set up an appointment. They came out. Now, the place that I live, um, my house is, I, I, I want to say it's like 16 or 17 years old. All right, so the, the guy, when he's replacing the gas meter, says, okay, well, this gas meter, it, it's from 1999. And I'm sitting there thinking, huh. It's 1999. The house is only like 16 or 17 years old. How how can that be? Didn't realize this. They don't do this anymore. But the, this is what they used to do. If there's a gas meter on a house and like something happens to the house, like the house burns down, what they would do is they would take the gas meters and they would repurpose them. So they put them on new houses. So this could be some I, I could have had a gas meter from some place that burned down or blew up or, or whatever. And the gas meter is still good or was condemned or whatever. So here they, they put that on there. Now, they don't do that anymore. But I'm going, how can the gas meter be older, be, be years older than the house? Well, it's because it was repurposed from somewhere else. So I got a new gas meter. I've got a new hot water heater. Hopefully, I'm going to have a new furnace and air conditioner by the time I go home. I am telling you, I'm living in high cotton. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes, right after the 1 o'clock hour. I'm going to be joined by my boss, Steve Wexler. We're going to talk about this great, great contest, I guess is the way to put it, that we're running here on WTMJ for small businesses. You don't want to miss that. And then right after that, yes, we will go where angels fear to tread. Tony Evers. In what should surprise no one, decides that he is a king and he wants to extend the state mask mandate without input from the legislature. We will discuss all that in just a couple minutes. Please don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, for the last several weeks, we, we've been talking about this outstanding, I, I'm, I'm going to call it a contest for lack of, of better terms, and it's it, it's winding down. But I wanted to bring, you know, one of the architects behind this in our, you, you've, you've heard him on multiple occasions on this program, somebody who's been with WTMJ for longer than me, and there's not too many of us around. That is a uh, rare uh, group. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is. Uh, Steve Wexler, our, our market manager, vice president. I just call him El, El Jefe. He's, he's, he's the boss. So, Steve, thanks for joining you us. You bet, Jeff. Thanks for having me in here. Okay, let we, we've been telling everybody about this RebuildingWIBusiness.com, this venture Explain what the thinking behind it is and, and what, what it is. Well, it's interesting, as you described it correctly, as a contest, radio stations love to give away things, right? Like we right. give away koozies and tickets and right. all kinds of other cool things over the years. We were talking to our great partners over at Associated Bank about the state of the economy, of business, of our community. And we were trying to figure out, they were saying, what can we do that actually, you know, might be able to help some of these smaller businesses get back on their feet or, you know, restart their commerce. And it occurred to us that the thing that we do for a living here at WTMJ and Good Karma Brands is, you know, we sell advertising, right? We help businesses market. And so the idea was hatched to provide a large, a significant advertising campaign for a local, smaller business that otherwise probably at this time of year or during this kind of economy would not be able to afford such a thing. And of course, it's cyclical, right? Because if you don't market, sure. it's harder to get customers and then it's harder to grow your business. And so uh, it is a contest. It ends September 27th, which is what? Uh, End of the week. I mean, today's the 22nd. 22nd. So, so yeah. coming up on it here. Uh, and all we're asking for is uh, local, smaller businesses to go to the website, rebuilding wibusiness.com and there's a couple of drop down menus tell us a little bit about your company uh where it's you know when it started what you try to do in the community why being local is so important and we're going to select a winner who will receive a $50,000 advertising schedule so that's commercial ads on both WTMJ and our sister station, 94.5 ESPN, will help you write them if, if need be or create them uh, here at the radio station so that you can get your name and your brand uh, out there and hopefully you can restart the engines of commerce. Now, Steve, it's interesting because I, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but some people who listen to us, they, they, they're, they're cynics. And, and I, I get this, this feedback. <laughs> really? I've never heard from any of the <laughs> yeah. cynics in our audience, Jeff. Well, I, I get this feedback saying, oh, there, there's got to be some catch to this. This is, this is like you guys are trying to get people down to floor Florida and make them sit for days to, to buy a timeshare or something like that. And I keep saying, no, it's not. Wow, but thanks for the idea. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, it is funny you'd say that because I, I think skepticism is like really good and important and healthy in life. Right. Cynicism to me is sort of a whole different category. And so you're right. The cynic goes, whatever you're saying or I'm saying must not be true. Right. right. Uh, the skeptic goes, well, wait a minute. What, what are you guys getting at? So I really do appreciate that question. This isn't a, uh, contract. This isn't a program. This isn't sign up now and, you know, you'll get emails for a, a thousand right. years from us. We literally want to select a business that could use the help. Uh, it's goodwill from Associated Bank and certainly from WTMJ. But at the end of the day, look, we're a station that's been around for almost a hundred 
hundred years. We didn't do that and we didn't survive and thrive by, you know, tricking the business community or, right. or uh, coming up with, uh, w- with uh, plots, if you will. So this is just one attempt and hopefully there'll be many more to come to see if we can't help somebody who's running a business who works hard every day to do the right thing uh, to thrive in the future. Now, Steve, I, I know, you know, one of the things that, that you, I, I work on the content side. I mean, my, my job is to put together a radio show for three hours. You, you work with our, our business partners and stuff and I know it, it's been tough for a lot of people over the course of the last six or seven months through, through no fault of their own. Wonderful businesses that all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under them. Yeah, it has been uh, unlike uh, any chapter that I've ever seen in our business because you know, if you think about it, the advertising business is very much a reflection of the economy because big businesses, small businesses, um, you know, they kind of count on us, right, to market, whether it's in a talk show like yours or in a sports broadcast, a Brewers broadcast or a Packers broadcast, uh, to have the businesses need us more than ever before, but many of them be in a position where they can't afford to do it is is difficult, right? Because that, that's been sort of the intersection that we've been at. So um, we've been working with a lot of local advertisers and big national advertisers to make sure that their messages can still be heard. Our view being that, you know, the economy, a free market economy is the fuel of our, our civilization, you might say. Uh, it protects free speech. And so we want to do our part along with Associated Bank, protecting that and hopefully growing that as well. So once again, this is, and again, I'm using the phrase contest, but it's, which I guess is what it is, but it seems to me it's so much more than that. Um, the, the, the applications, the deadline, and it is a deadline. Everything has to be in by September 27th, and today is the, the 22nd. And as Steve was saying, it, it's rebuilding wibusiness.com. That website has all the different rules yes. and all the different requirements. Yeah, if there is whatever fine print there is on this uh, program, it, it's all there, but it's a very simple deal. There isn't a big application process. We just want to know a little bit about you, who you are, uh, where you are, what you do, and we'll pick a winner and we'll be happy to feature them on WTMJ and ESPN in the coming months. Three texts. What is that website again? Well, rebuildingwibusiness.com. Yeah. And, and again, it's, uh, I, it's it, from my perspective, when, when I first heard about this program that they were launching, I thought this is, this is just, it's something that I'm really glad to see WTMJ doing because it's something that really meets the needs of, of our community, in this case, our, our partners. A lot of stuff we do is for listening audience. This is for, yes. for advertising. And that is what's different, right? I mean, typically right. contests we would run would be promotional uh, for, for the listening audience. In this case, we're saying to business owners, uh, why don't we see if we can't do something good for you? And uh, hopefully it'll be a, a, you know, a great story for a local business, and maybe we can be a small part of their success story. Outstanding. So that's Steve Wexler, El Jefe, our vice president. <laughs> El Jefe. I'll put that on the business card, Joe. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. And, we'll, and of course, we're going to announce the winner and all, right? People yeah, we will, absolutely right. are. And uh, we'll want to you know, talk about them a little bit. And then what's really cool is listeners will be hearing their commercials. And hopefully we'll uh, patronize those uh, businesses as well. Oh, that's very good. So once again, rebuildingwibusiness.com. It's got all the information on it. You need to enter by September 27th. And one deserving business walks away with an ad campaign valued at $50,000. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Wexler. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The votes are in. Now it's time to find out the winners. The Wisconsin Sports Awards are coming, and they'll be unlike any WSAs before. 
Tune in next Monday as we broadcast the Wisconsin Sports Awards right here on 620 WTMJ. The ninth annual Wisconsin Sports Awards are presented by Gruber Law Offices, Cousin Subs, Potosi Brewing Company, and American Family Insurance. It all happens next Monday, September 28th at 6 o'clock on 620 WTMJ. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. A couple things, including, this is on a lighter note, I think one of my one of my all-time favorite movies, it's certainly in my top five, is uh, the movie called Almost Famous, which is by Cameron Crowe, and it's it features, it's kind of about his life when he was 17 years old, and he got a job rolling, writing for Rolling Stone magazine, and, and it's a fictionalized version of that, but it's a, it's a really great sort of coming-of-age movie. Uh, if you want to feel old, that, that movie debuted 20, 20 years ago today, so it's its 20th anniversary of that, and um, I, I actually sent out a, a link to a story that that has that shows all the stars and where where are they you know twenty years later so um, you know it really is hard to believe it came out twenty years ago so if you if you love that movie like I do and you're wondering gee what what happened to some of those people and the kid who was seventeen years old at the time what does he look like now well I've got a link to that so you can follow me um, at Jeff Wagner six twenty all right let us go where angels fear to tread the governor today extended his mask order for an additional 60 days now let let me i want to i want to start with the legality of this in my opinion and then move to the broader point so bear with me for a second the the governor under his authority allows him to declare a health emergency for up to 60 days and he, he can impose certain orders. That was, for example, that that's where the, the safer at home thing did. The, the, because it's an emergency situation, maybe you can't get the legislature together or whatever. The governor has the ability and the authority under the law to impose various requirements that are good for up to 60 days. The law in Wisconsin is also very clear that after that 60-day period, what the governor needs to do is he needs to have he does not have the unilateral authority to continue the health orders that that's where the legislature has to get involved and if you think about it 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 makes sense because the idea is we we do not have kings and queens we have elected officials so in the time of an emergency you give the governor limited power in the short term to do stuff that he feels is necessary to cope with the emergency. But that's not an unlimited thing. You can't shut down businesses for for a year. You can't do it for an unlimited period. You can do it for a finite period, 60 days in this case, and then the legislature needs to act. You need to incorporate the legislature and they have to do it. The 60-day, and so that was the authority under which he imposed the mask mandate. We've got a COVID emergency going on here. I'm imposing this mask mandate. It's going to run for 60 days. That 60 days expires the 29th, I, I believe. Today, he's ordered it extended through the end of November. Now, in my opinion, just my opinion, that is a completely illegal act. He, he does not, I believe, regardless of whether or not you agree with should we have masks or not, that, that's, that's a whole separate question, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But regardless of whether you agree with that or not, it's my belief that this is illegal. He has 60 days. Once that 60 days expires, at that point in time, you need the legislature to 
continue the mask mandate. They have to act, they have to pass the law, and then he can sign it. That's the way the system works. Like I say, we don't elect kings and queens. By the governor extending this without going to the legislature, and and maybe the legislature wouldn't extend it. That's entirely possible. But that doesn't mean he can do it. I think what the governor has done is completely and totally extra legal. He does not have the legal authority, at least in my opinion, to do it. There's a couple lawsuits that have been pending. My guess is they've been challenging different aspects of it. My guess is they will either be modified or in the very near future, there will be a lawsuit challenging his ability to extend the order for another 60 days on his own. So I I don't think he has the authority legally to do it. That hasn't stopped him from doing it. I don't think he even thinks he has the authority to do it, but I think he's trying to dare people to, to sue him, and then he can kind of point fingers and say, oh, see, that they those evil Republicans or that group that just sued me, they don't care about people's lives, etc. So I, I, I think some of this is kind of a political ploy, but, but that's the legality of it. But then there's the bigger picture, and, and this is what I want to discuss. And let me say at the beginning, I, I don't have a problem personally with with wearing masks in, in many situations. When I go inside to the hardware store or the grocery store or inside a, a shop, I, I, I always have a mask in my back pocket. I put on the mask. Right? I, I just think I, I, I don't know that that's doing any good necessarily, but I put on the mask. That's so. And if the store required it, I would continue to do it. Um, when I go into restaurants, because that's just not practical. And most of the times I, I end up eating outside. But, you know, I, I, I will, you know, when I go into restaurants, I, I don't wear a mask in restaurants because it, it's just it's just not practical. But like I say, I, I do patio dining and things like that. But anyhow, we have had the mask mandate in place in the state of Wisconsin for the last, I don't know, 50 days or so. And I, I think it is fair to say that the mask mandate, as far as controlling the spread of COVID, has been a complete and total failure. I mean, you just, you, you the, the, num- the COVID numbers right now, I, I believe, are probably higher now than they have ever been in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, yesterday, what, 1,271 positive tests. Um, earlier, a couple of days earlier, it was 2,000, it was 1,600. The, the number of people testing positive for COVID is extremely high. Now, the good news behind this, the good news is that our hospitalizations are not up significantly, and the number of deaths are not up in any close proportion to the number of increased COVID cases. Now, why is that? Because the vast majority of people who are getting COVID are are younger people, and younger people end up either being asymptomatic or they they get it, they get the sniffles, they get a sore throat, and, and they get better. So it's not, nobody wants it. But the people who, by and large, are getting it are ones who are healthier and do not have, as a general rule, bad consequences. And look, I, I understand that you can have a 19-year-old who dies from this, and, and that's why nobody wants to get it. But if you just look at the statistics, your chances of having a positive outcome with COVID are much greater if you're 22 years old than if you're 82 years old. That That's just the, the numbers that are out there. So we've had the mask mandate for 50-plus days. 
the numbers are as high as they've ever been and maybe higher. So I, I think it's fair to say that for whatever reasons, the mask mandate has been a pretty much a complete failure in stopping the spread of COVID-19 in Wisconsin. Now, maybe, maybe it's because people aren't complying with that. Maybe it's because people aren't wearing masks, so they're ignoring the rules. Maybe it's because the masks aren't all they're cracked up to be. And, and don't send me the text saying, you're ignoring science. I, I, I know. I, I mean, I know you've got these health professionals that say, okay, it reduces the, the spread of COVID-19. I guess I look at it and say it, does, it strikes me that it can't hurt. But at the same time, we've got these mask rules, and you're, you're seeing the numbers that are going through the roof. So maybe it's because people aren't paying attention. Maybe it's because it's ineffective. Maybe it, it's other other reasons. I guess you could argue that it would be even worse if it weren't for for the mask mandate, you know, how you prove a negative, I don't know. But regardless, we've had the mask mandate, and it's not stopping the spread. All right, so Governor Evers says, I'm going to extend it for another 60 days and hope things are going to change. Well, does that make any sense? I mean, because what we're doing right now isn't working. So does it make any sense at all to say, we're going to continue doing the same thing for another two months. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, this is from, coming from somebody who, uh, I mean, I'll, when I go inside buildings, I'll wear a mask. I, that's that's fine. I don't find it to be that much of a, of a nuisance for the limited times that I'm inside and stuff. But, but it's not reducing the spread of COVID statistically. So... All right, do we continue doing the same thing, or do we maybe move to a plan B or a plan C? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Governor Evers wants another 60 days of a mask mandate. Does that make any sense at all? And we'll put aside the legalities, whether he has the authority to do it. Does the order make sense? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Enjoy the show. I appreciate you being on the air. Thank you. Um, I look at it as, uh, I don't know, I'm called stupidity. That's not a very nice name. But uh, kind of a not-in-my-backyard not mentality. I take care of uh, maintenance for uh, 400 multi-unit rental properties from Kenosha up to Green Bay. And uh, I don't see the people wearing the masks. In the Milwaukee County area, yeah, you see some pretty good compliance. But you get up into the valley, Appleton, Oshkosh, uh, the Pier Green Bay area, and I just I look at it as a not-in-my-backyard mentality where they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. So can should it be reinforced? Or if people were complying, maybe we wouldn't be seeing these numbers. It's ridiculous, Jeff, when you go into a gas station or a grocery store further up north in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and it's just they're not wearing them. So let me ask you this. So then what do we what what do we do now? It's one thing to say, look, that this that makes sense or or at the very least, it, it can't hurt. And, you know, I think that's a fair statement. At the very least, it can't hurt. But to your point, if large numbers of people are just saying we're not going to do it, what what do we do? Is there anything the state can do to try to? For example, enforce that more because I and I, I ask that honestly because I don't know what that answer would be. You know, if if you have, 
you know, hundreds of thousands of people who've just decided we're not going to do this. How, how do you force them to do it? Jeff, let me give you an example. I'm up uh, in the De Pere area, and I look out, and one of the tenants there who's kind of like the grill king, he's got his tent set up, and there's got to be 18, 20 people there having their packer party. No mask. And I have irate tenants that are insisting I go over and say something, insisting, but, hey, I'm not going to do it. That ain't happening. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go up. And the other side, and let's face reality, Jeff. Let's say that there was some law enforcement of this, and don't take this the wrong way, but an officer approaches 12 white guys in a city park. Hey, let's put the masks on, guys. Opposed to approaches 12 African-American people in a park just having a picnic. Things aren't going well with police and some minorities now. So I think you would create so many more problems if there was law enforcement. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I I think, Scott, it's it's an overwhelming sort of issue. If you if you any of these rules depend in large measure, in my opinion, on something that affects everybody depends a lot on on voluntary compliance. You can urge people now. See, if the governor would have continued to say, "Look, this this is what the science says, and, and we think it, it's just good, smart health things, and, and we want people to continue to do it," and, and so please do it. That that that's I think imperfectly appropriate. My problem has always been when when you have these orders that are essentially unenforceable and for whatever reason large groups of people just decide that they are they're going to ignore them and and there's really as a practical matter are, are we going to okay we we've got a record number of homicides in the city of Milwaukee are are we going to say okay we we want to we want to divert the police away from the, the shootings and the car thefts and the homicides, and we want you to have we want you to start looking at people who are walking down the street outside, um, who are within six feet of each other, and, and they're not wearing masks. Well, of course, you you cannot do that. Now, maybe the thinking is we put the mask mandate in, and even though we know it's unenforceable, maybe a lot of people will comply. Anyways, I just, I, I kind of shrug my shoulders. And I guess I, I go back to this. What we're doing, and I, I repeat this, a couple people are texting me saying, well, if we didn't have the mask mandate, for all you know, it, it could be three times as bad. Well, okay, I, I understand it's tough to prove a negative. All I know is that we put in the mask mandate and the numbers are worse than, than they were before we had the mask mandate. So I, I either, it seems to me either people aren't complying or maybe not. it's not all that it's cracked up to be, which doesn't mean you, you shouldn't do it because, again, it, it can't hurt, can it? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to um, Jim in Two Rivers. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Uh, well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Uh, long-time listener, I agree with you on 90% of the things that you talk about, but when you get the director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, came on TV the other night and was talking how important it is to wear the mask, more important than the vaccine, he said, right out of his mouth. And you sound a little skeptical with the mask. Well, and I'm just looking at I, all I'm doing is I'm just looking at the numbers, Jim. The mask, we've had the right. mask mandate in effect for two months. The numbers are higher than they have ever been. So that tells me right. it's either because there's noncompliance or they're not working as well or a, or a combination. You, you think it's all yeah. noncompliance? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the gentleman who spoke before me, uh, he's spot on up in this area, you know, a little bit northern, right, right near the lake. 
Um, you know, I'd be lucky if 60% of the people are wearing masks going into the store. And also, when we have a president, I don't want to go off on that, but who makes fun of the mask, made fun of Joe Biden wearing the mask, he needs to set the tone for the country. And that's where I think it all started. People politicize this way too much. The virus doesn't care. The virus is Democrat or Republican. So what do we do? What what do we do? Let's let's try to take the politics out. No, let me ask you a practical question. Okay, what what do we do if we accept your prem? Let's accept the premise that masks work, but obviously the the numbers are going up astronomically. So that must mean then that people aren't wearing the masks. What do we do to make that change? That's the million dollar question. I think people really. If somebody close to them had gotten this, I've had a couple people, one almost passed away, an elderly lady, and you see what their families go through, and you see on TV, on the news, the doctors up and up. If they can wear all that garb and everything, we certainly can put on a little mask. It is a little inconvenient. I wear it at work sometimes when I have to go into a place, and, yeah, my face gets sweaty and everything, but people need to grow up and just throw the stupid mask on like Rubio said. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Again, I I sort of... See, what's, a number of people are, are reminding me of this. What's, what's the famous saying? That the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and then being surprised when the results aren't different. And that's, again, putting aside what I believe is the, the lack of legal basis that the governor has for extending this. I, I, at some point in time, I think you've got to wrestle with this question. If we believe that, that mask rules are the be-all, end-all to, to solving the, the virus, and I, the reason I'm partly skeptical is I, I just – I mean, even when I see people wearing masks, I, I see people you know, wear, wearing masks down or, or around their mouth and their nose exposed or, or pulling them up and pulling them on and stuff. I, I just I, I, I question whether you're what degree of compliance you're going to get. And even when you get people complying they're they're not wearing them that much or you've got the masks on and you're inside and you're trying to communicate with somebody and you're saying, I, I want three bottles of whatever. And, and they can't hear you and understand you. And people are pulling their masks back and forth. I think. There's there's a limitation on all that, but but at the same time, if if we're not getting compliance and the numbers aren't going down, then the issue becomes what what are we going to do? And candidly, I, I think I mean like I've said, I think COVID's going to be with us until we get a vaccine, and, and even then, it's probably going to be with us for a while because people aren't going to get the vaccines. And do I think the masks are a good idea? Well, again, I, I lump them in the category of it can't hurt, but. But right now, just continuing the mask mandate without any sort of enforcement mechanism. I mean, realistic enforcement mechanism. And I don't have one. I, I don't know. I don't know how you force when you're when you're talking about, you know, three million people or however many people there are in the state. And you've got people who just aren't going to comply. I don't know how you enforce that, which makes me wonder, should you move to plan B, whatever plan B would be? Lynn in Cedarburg. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I think I agree with you that it shouldn't be a mandate. It should be a recommendation because some people are doing this because they're tired of being told what to do. And it's, I don't know, the way to rebel or something like that. I, I don't really know. But up more up north, it's just people walk around all the time with no masks at the gas stations, at the uh, Walmart, they wear them in, you know, over their face, and the minute they get in, they take them off. Mm-hmm. What do you think Walmart has 20 people to come after them and and say, get that mask back on? 
They right. don't. I, I just think, like you, that it should be. I tell them the, the the pros and cons, but you know, leave it to the people to do it. And I think that's the way it's going to have to go. I yeah. Well, I I, yeah, and I think you can force it. Yeah, I mean, thanks for calling. Now, I, now I do think. I mean, what are some of the things that that we know uh, about this? And, and I think that you can, if if you want to stop the spread of this, again, and I understand this is kind of simplistic, and I understand the numbers are, everybody gets COVID, but if you look at what, where the explosion of numbers comes from, it, it's primarily young people, presumably young people who have pandemic fatigue or, or whatever, who are ignoring the rules, who are, let, let's get the 40 and 50 people and let, let's rush to the kegger. Okay, I, I don't see a lot of people my age doing that. I'm not saying nobody does, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people and there are a lot of teenagers and people in their 20s and 30s who are just making the decision that, gee, if I get it, I get it, and I'm not going to get that sick. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. I'm going to feel bad for a couple of days. Maybe I won't even feel bad for a couple of days. And then I'll, I'll get over it. Then I'll have it and I'll be ready to go. I think that's one of the things that's driving the numbers that are out there. To me, to me, if you were looking at prioritizing things, you, you start with preventing large groups of people from getting together where you have the, the super spreader situation. Because that's, I think, what's driving a lot of the numbers. It's the, the big off-campus parties where you have 50 or 100 or 200 or 300 people, handful of people show up, they're sick, and then they get everybody sick. So, I mean, if you were saying to me, mask rule or not mask rule, Jeff, how would you prioritize your enforcement efforts? My comment would be I, I'd prioritize them I'm less worried about the the one guy or gal that goes into the convenience store and doesn't have a mask. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear the mask, but if you're saying where would you prior to prioritize enforcement, I'm less worried about that, that one person that goes into, like I say, the convenience store without a mask than I am about the 350 people who pile into you know the, the small apartment for the kegger, just because statistically there's a greater chance that lots and lots more people are going to get in. Affected. And I, I'm, and if you've got to prioritize your enforcement resources, that's what I would be doing. We're going to concentrate on the large gatherings. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank are the senior realty experts Bruce and Gene Nimovitz from selling to downsizing and so much more. Visit brucesteam.com. Okay, now, now this is sort of interesting. I, I have a text, Jeff. I have a daughter um, who's an RN here in central Wisconsin, and she does COVID testing every day. She says 75 to 80% of the people who test positive did not wear a mask. And I'll, I'll accept that number, except here, here's the thing. I mean, keep in mind that the mask doesn't protect you from getting sick. The mask protects you from getting other people sick. So that's, I think there's also some misconception about this. Now, I understand there's some science out there that says wearing the mask doesn't doesn't hurt. Ha- having that on, if you're exposed, it, it doesn't hurt. And that's probably true. But, but the reason we wear masks is to stop those of us who are sick, you know, or and and people can be what they call asymptomatic, which means you could have COVID but not know it because the symptoms haven't kicked in. The reason, the real reason behind the masks is you wear the mask to protect you 
if you're sick, from breathing on other people. And that's that's what the function of the mask is. So I guess when the, the nurse says, she says 75 to 80 percent of the people who test positive did not wear a mask, I, I guess th- th- what you would do is extrapolate that. And you'd say, well, that means that all the people they're hanging out with you know, didn't wear masks either because masking as a general rule, it's designed to stop you from getting other people sick. It's why it's it's why when I go inside to places like you go into the grocery stores and things like that, it's why I put on a mask because and, and I probably I would do that whether there's a whether there's an unenforceable mask mandate or not, just because I think it's just kind of a gesture of respect. I, I think it's it's the right thing to do when you go inside now. Outside, kind of a different story. I, I think, you know, there the science is much more questionable. I mean, we, we had all the protests and you didn't see spikes of, of COVID-19 as a result of that. And that's because when you're outside, it, it's sort of different. But when I go inside, I mean, I voluntarily wear a mask. I would continue to wear a mask when I'm inside in the stores. Like I say, that's a gesture of respect to the people that are working in there. But as a general rule, when you're wearing the mask, keep in mind that's to protect other people that you come in contact with from you. Why are these numbers spiking? I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's it's pretty clear, and I'm not sure it has that much to do with masks. I think it's because you have young people who have the pandemic fatigue or whatever, who think they're invincible or whatever, and, and they're, they're going out and they're quote-unquote living their lives without worrying about whether they're going to get COVID or not, and they're getting COVID. And most of them are recovering and they end up being fine. The issue is for those people who do get it and have an adverse reaction, or they bring it home and they give it to their grandparents or their parents who do have more health issues. I mean, so that's why the sooner we figure out a way to deal with this, the better. I just raised the question about, you know, whether or not, given all that's going on in the last 60 days, whether or not using this mask mandate, whether it's legal or not, whether that's going to continue to make a difference. Will we see a marked difference 60 days from now unless we do something different? Or do we just simply say, you know what, we're going to educate people. We're going to tell them, and I think a lot of people know that, you know, we're going to tell them who the most vulnerable people are. We're going to concentrate on protecting our most vulnerable we're going to acknowledge that other people are going to get sick and we're going to move towards herd immunity and we're going to hope that there is a vaccine that people will take sooner rather than later so we can get past all of that. Because candidly, I mean, we, we can keep extending the mask mandates, but my guess is the numbers, unless there's a vaccine, that the numbers we're seeing now probably aren't going to be too different in, in six months, in, in 60 days. I, I think that's just kind of the likelihood. And given the fact that we're getting ready to start the cold and flu season, and there's a lot of people who aren't going to be getting their flu shots and all that type of stuff, I, if anything, maybe I think you're going to see the numbers worsen. Not hoping for that, just that's kind of the reality that we're in, whether or not you have a mask mandate or not. And, and maybe short of shutting down the state, which I don't think is an option, you know, maybe there should be some exploring some, you know, other, you know, plan B's and plan C's, which is let's really crack down maybe on the large gatherings where the super spreaders are. Maybe if we were doing that, that would have the beneficial effect of, of actually lowering the numbers. Just saying. A lot of stuff coming up on today's program. Tom Barrett comes out with his budget. It is not police friendly. Teachers in Kenosha close down the schools. 
and lots more. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of the reasons I just loved Ronald Reagan as a president, and there were many reasons. I, I've said this before. I, I think President Reagan, at least in my lifetime, was the greatest American president. But one of the things I, I loved about Reagan is that he just, he had his principles and, and he stuck to them. And you'd see that play out in a number of capacities. For example, it is illegal for aircraft, um, for, for controllers, you know, aircraft controllers, it's illegal for them to go out on strike. And what happened during Reagan's term, and, and especially at the beginning of Reagan's term, he was not necessarily that popular. You know, there were economic issues and things like that. And so you had a number of air traffic controllers who decided that here's what we're going to do. We, we are unhappy with our deals. And so in an effort to try to pressure the, the government to give in to what we want, we are going to shut down the nation's air traf- travel system. Because you, you, if you don't have air traffic controllers, you, you can't have planes flying, etc. So we don't care what the law is. We're going out on strike. And President Reagan said, if you go out on strike, I'm firing you. Anybody that goes out on strike, engages in illegal work and an illegal work action, you're going to lose your jobs. And so the air traffic controllers, the union, they called his bluff. They said, well, he's not going to do that. He's not going to fire us. We're going to go out on strike. We're going to cripple the country. We're going to show him we're not going to do it. So they went out on strike. And you know what Reagan did? Reagan fired all of them. It, he, he fired all of them. He, he brought in, you know, military controller, air traffic controllers to, to operate at the airports. Um, and, and between the people who didn't go out on strike and between the military people, you know what? It, it all worked out. You know, we, we were able to get through that. And then a bunch of these, these air traffic controllers would come in and they'd say, okay, well, we're, we're ready to come back to work. We, we want our jobs back. You know, just, just kidding. All is forgiven. And Reagan said, no, I, I told you, if you did this and you went out on strike, you were going to lose your job, period. And there were a whole bunch of them who never got their jobs back. Now, that was, I guess, unfortunate, but it was, they knew what they were doing was, was against the law. They decided they were going to do it anyways. They took the risk, and, and you know what? It, it cost them their jobs and their livelihoods, and that is unfortunate, but it's the consequence of a decision that they made. But Reagan drew that line in the sand. He said, this is illegal. What part of illegal do you not understand? I'm not going to put up with it. Boom. All right. Now, what does that inform us about what's going on now? Well, we, we turn to the south, at least from where I'm sitting, and, and we look at Kenosha, like Kenosha hasn't enough issues. Um, the Kenosha School Board decided that it was safe, they believed it was safe, to reopen schools to in-person learning. As a matter of fact, that's what the parents wanted down in Kenosha. They decided that that's what they were going to do, and, and that is not inconsistent. I mean, you've got you know some school districts that are still all virtual, like uh, the Milwaukee Public Schools, but you have many, many districts across the country, where across the state, that are the kids are back in school either five days a week, or in some cases, it's like a hybrid version where they're in school for two days and they're out of school for three days. And in many cases, even with the situations where there's virtual learning going on, the teachers are required to be in the building. So the teachers are teaching from their classrooms and they're teaching virtually. On top of that, I think we could all agree 
at least I'd hope we'd all agree, that virtual learning is a poor substitute for the in-person teaching. And, and in some cases, special needs kids, for example, it's just a complete and total disaster. You, you just you need that in-person sort of contact. And in some kids, I guess, are able to do OK. I don't know that anybody really thrives, but some kids are able to do OK. But a lot of kids are, are just lost in the, in the whole framework of, of the virtual learning. Our, our school systems are set up for having the kids in class. So down in Kenosha, they decided we're going to have the kids in class. The teachers' union, which is apparently a very militant teachers' union, decided we, we don't want to do that. And they have been fighting this from the beginning. For example, the head of the union says, okay, in-person learning is dangerous and untenable. All right. They, they said, if you, you make our staff come back, um, what's going to happen is, is people, it's going to continue to contribute to community spread. You're going to have people dying because, you know, you're having people go to school. The kids go to school and the teachers have to show up in school to teach it all. Well, of course, other districts are doing that and they're not having kids die in record numbers, not having people die in record numbers. COVID is something that we're trying to figure out how to live with. But what happened yesterday is the Kenosha teachers staged what I'm going to describe as a wildcat strike. They, in many of the schools, I think seven of the different schools, including a bunch of the high schools, they had a mass sick out. They, they called in on Sunday night 276 teachers and a large number of other school personnel called in sick, said we're not coming to work, and they forced the closures of the schools to in-person learning at least for a week. And again, the teachers union is saber, the head of the teachers union is saber rattling. This is terrible. You, you bring people back. People are going to die. Now, at least for the first day or two, my understanding is they can call in sick and they don't, they don't get checked on it. There's, they don't have to provide a doctor's excuse, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how long they're able to do it, but right now the school has gone virtual for a week and they're assessing, you know, what they're going to do. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, let's understand there's a job action going on. That's what this this is. This is the teachers union that is trying to flex their muscles, saying we don't like the fact that we're being told that we have to go back to in-person instruction, so we are not going to show up. All right, that worked, I guess, for at least the first week. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the school system give in to the teachers? Should they say, you know what, we appreciate that you don't want to come in and teach the kids in person, so we're going to call off in-person learning for the foreseeable future. And again, I don't know what that means. Does that mean until you get a vaccine, which is probably for the kids at least a year away? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the school district cave in to the teachers? My answer in one word, let me give you two words. Hell no, we'll discuss. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Schools all over the state 
are, are reopening to in-person learning. Some are deciding, no, we're, we're going to continue to do virtual. In Kenosha, the administration made the decision, we're going to reopen. The teachers decided, and it's an organized action by some, not all teachers, we don't like that and we're not going to come in. So there was, like I'm going to call a wildcat strike yesterday, forcing at least seven schools to abandon for this week in-person instruction and go virtual. All right, my question is, do you give in to the teachers or do you say, okay, we're opening up back again next Monday. It's in-person instruction. And if people do not show up, then, all right, there's going to be job actions that are taken. Do you go Reagan and the air traffic controllers? Or do you say, okay, the teachers say they don't want to come in. We're going to go along with them. 855-616-1620. My response, I'd go Reagan and air traffic controllers. Let's start with Julio in Germantown. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. What do you think? Well, um, it's uh, in general, everybody knows the, the social distancing rule, six foot. Classrooms in general, they're, they're small. So that's a tough one. And then and also, when kids go to the bathroom, you know, how do you keep everything sanitized properly? And um, to me, I, don't, I just don't see grown-ups in general are not following the proper rules and what they need to do what do you expect kids to actually do when they're in this uh, scenario how how long would you keep the schools closed when 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 that, would you reopen them that's the that's a big tough question i am that's why a that's human being. yeah that's why they pay yeah. me the big money here <laughs> to, to ask yes. those questions <laughs> yes so uh, from my perspective and the understanding it's a tough one. I got kids uh, to ask these uh, questions from my uh, kids' schools to uh, generate kind of an understanding from parents, and they decided to keep them close. So, right. Um, right. Okay. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I asked that question because, first of all, it. it Most of the schools, not all the schools, but most of the schools across our our listing area, for for parents who do not feel comfortable sending their kids to school, there is that virtual learning option that is out there. And I think everybody agrees it's inferior, but but it's out there. So nobody, and there's a couple exceptions, but as a general rule, you're not forced to send your kids to school if you, for example... I, I don't know, what, whatever. For whatever reasons, you don't have to make that decision. But I, I ask this question because if you give in to the teachers in Kenosha and the question becomes, hey, when, when do you reopen? Now, I've had people call when we've talked about this who said, well, I don't think you can reopen until there's a vaccine. I was, there's a story in the New York Times today, vaccine, or Washington Post, one of the two, vaccines, when, when we get a vaccine, whenever that might be, kids are going to be at the very at the very tail end of who ends up getting immunized. I mean, the first doses are going to go to the people who are most vulnerable. It's going to go to essential workers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do do we really want to say, all right, we're, we're not going to have in-person instruction in schools in this country for the next year, the next two years? I mean, is that really what we're, we're going to do? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, absolutely not. This is um, 
Let's see. Um, absolutely not. Now is the time to stand up to the teachers. It must take less teachers to go virtual. 60% of the parents said go back. The teachers mocked them. Fire the ones who do not want to teach. Well, in fairness, they don't want to, it's not that they don't want to teach. It's that they don't want to teach in person. Jeff, if the unions have their way, the schools will stay closed to in-person learning until we have a vaccine. Yeah, that's, that's it. And my understanding is in Kenosha, the, the union at least, they don't want even the teachers to even have to go into the schools, even if there aren't kids there. Now, I'm, I'll stand corrected, but that's at least the way I'm reading what the union president is saying. It's like, oh, the schools themselves are too dangerous. Okay, so you can, you can have a target employee or the checker at a pick and save or whatever. No, you got to show up and, and, and you've got to you've got to work. Um, but, you know, the, the teacher doesn't have to go into the classroom. Um, OK, let's see. Um, Jeff, I don't know that the school district has a choice. These schools are already running into challenges, getting substitutes to fill in for the occasional teacher who is out sick and must self-quarantine due to contract tracings. They don't want to get sick either. So I, I mean, I guess that's the question. Can, can the schools simply allow, in this case, the teachers to dictate what the policy is going to be. Jeff, if healthcare workers, grocery store workers, factory workers, etc., can all find a way to safely function, why can't the schools? The school board should do what Reagan did with the air traffic controllers, fire them all. Well, um, Jeff, fire them. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Hell no. They should do their best to find replacements for all of the teachers who aren't showing up and then get rid of them. These teachers are spoiled. They want offline learning so they can do it from their house so they can skate by. All other businesses have to go back to work like factories and etc. The teachers should, too. It is kind of an interesting question. I wonder out of the, the 300 or so Kenosha public employees, the teachers and then some of the school staff, who decided that they were going to stage this quote-unquote sick out. I wonder how many of them, I don't know, have, have been out and about, have, have been to restaurants, etc., etc. Now, look, I understand that there may be, for example, some teachers who are in a particularly vulnerable situation. I'm, I'm, I'll give you an example. Around here. When they started bringing us back, I mean, I worked at home for the first 11 weeks. I was willing to come in, but that's just what they decided to do with the company. When they started bringing us back, they said, look, here, here's the deal. Is there any is there any special health need that you have that you are concerned about? Is there something you know abnormal in your situation that, that you think you, you shouldn't be going out of the house? And my answer was, no, I mean, I've been, I've been going out of the house. I've been going to the stores. I've been going to you know, pick out, carry out. I've been playing golf and those things. No, I'll, I'll come back to work. And they have all these different safety protocols that are up there. Now, obviously, if you have a particular situation where you've got a teacher that's got a particularly unique health situation or something, well, then you look at it on a case-by-case basis, but that's not the 300 people who decided that they were not going to um, show up. Jeff, one of the teachers was at a bar all afternoon yesterday talking about COVID in school. Meanwhile, they were sitting in a bar with no mask. Now, that's just anecdotal, but I wouldn't be surprised about that. You know, and I, I wouldn't be surprised about that because the teachers are are in fact human, and my guess is that some of the ones who didn't show up, they're out and about in restaurants and things like um, that as well. This is Jeff Wagner.